You are listening to When Therapists Watch TV, where we discuss today's buzzworthy TV shows and what they can teach us about ourselves, our relationships, and the world around us. I'm your host, Dr. Terry Bly, licensed clinical psychologist at LA Mental Health. Okay, so welcome to the season finale of When Therapists Watch TV. This will be our last episode for a while. I'm not sure how long our pause will be, hopefully not too long. Um, but we are ending with a show that's currently um, quite hot, as they say, um, on Netflix. It's still trending, I checked, and it's uh, Beef. And if you haven't heard of it, um, boy, it's definitely worth checking out. This is a show that is unlike any, I have to say, it's unlike any TV show I've, I've ever watched. Um, not only does it feature an all Asian American cast or nearly all Asian American cast, um, it, it tackles topics differently. And I can't really articulate how differently. It just does it in a way that's different. It, it starts out very um, kind of frantic. There's a, a real intense uh, pilot episode, but then it settles into much deeper character development and gets into some things. And as I was thinking about how I summed up what, what to me the show was about, what, I, what started to come out for me is that beef was, is about how we, we kind of go through life doing the things that were, are expected of us, that we're told are gonna make us happy, are gonna make us feel fulfilled, are gonna make our parents proud of us, or, or you know, whatever it is that, that we think is the reward that we're going for, maybe make us rich. And we get to a certain point in our adult lives where a lot of us realize that either we have not succeeded in doing those things and we're, we have feelings about that, or we did all of the things that we were told we were supposed to do that we were told would make us happy and we are not happy. Maybe we're mad or um, just really wanting to kind of blow it all up and start over again. But what happens when you don't have any kind of outlet for that? What happens when, when it doesn't feel acceptable to come right out and say that? What happens when your culture or your, um, your family or for whatever reason, they, they don't accept that as a possible response that you don't like where you've ended up um, or you don't wanna do the things that are being expected of you. So I think Beef does a really amazing job um, bringing up those questions of God, we all have these things that people want us to do and that we're told we should be doing and that we should want to do. And then when, when we don't get there, you know, uh, what happens? What happens to us existentially? What happens to us psychologically? Uh, and this, I will say this show does it in a, in a pretty intense and sometimes um, violent way. So if you don't like that sort of thing, it might not be your cup of tea, but, um, but I think it's worth discussing anyway. So I brought um, to be my guest today, I have two therapists here at Ellie who both really enjoy the show is my understanding um, and are gonna talk about it with me from their perspectives and what they got out of the show because I really wanted, um, I really want both of you to, to tell me what you found important and relevant about the show. Um, I have Matt Reed and BJ McElrath and I'm gonna let you guys introduce yourselves, <laughs> tell me a little bit about, um, about you, who you are as a therapist um, and maybe just a little bit just a little, little teaser as to what it is you liked about this particular television show. Go ahead, Matt. All right, I'll take All it. Right. <laughs> um, as Terry said, my name is Matt Reed. I'm a therapist at Ellie. Um, I've been a therapist doing therapy work since 2014. Um, I've spent a good portion of my career working with 
adult men in the corrections uh, system in That's both right. the state of Virginia and Minnesota. Um, I ran anger management groups in those environments as well as other types of groups, uh, but mostly you know, working with the adult male population, uh, which I think part of the reason why this show was so easy to relate to and empathize with is there's, uh, there's a lot of parts of my client in one of the protagonists, Danny's experiences that are portrayed in the show. Um, so I kind of blew through that pretty fast, yeah. but generally um, I found the show to be very insightful, very accurate, and uh, yeah, just very reflective. When I was when I mentioned the show to you, I was like, "Have you seen it?" And you're like, "No." And then like I, I swear to God, it was like two hours later, you're like, "Well, I'm four episodes in now." Yep, yep. You caught me on a good day. I had, I had some free time in the afternoon, and I was able yeah. to uh, to go through it pretty fast. And yeah, it's it's an easy show to. Yeah you know, burn a few hours yeah. watching. I was glad to hear, I was glad to hear. And I didn't even know at the time when I recommended it that you did, an, you, know, you worked in corrections, you know, with the, that population and did anger management. Yes. So it could not have been a more perfect thing <laughs> yeah, for you perfect. to, yeah. so you can bring your expertise yeah. and your thoughts. I can't wait to, to pick your brain about this. Um, yes. BJ, hi. Yeah, uh, my name is BJ McElrath. I'm a therapist here at LA. I'm also a clinical territory director. And uh, what that means is just as we expand at LE, growing here in Minnesota and also nationally, um, I just have a group of states that I oversee as we open up those clinics mm, and right. get them up and running. And so I've been practicing since uh, 2011 and um, an LPCC and, and supervisor. So, okay. yeah. So like I said, you know, this show, uh, there's a couple things that jumped out at me. Um, first of all, it's an all, all Asian cast or nearly all Asian American cast. So. Um, for me personally, you know, when I see that, like that's something, you know, having a foot, you know, I'm half Vietnamese, half uh, Caucasian. And so um, having a foot in both worlds, it's like whenever I see that part of me, mm. like that just jumps out at me and, and, and immediately I'm, I'm glued, right? Yeah. So, but then just, you know, all of the, the stuff, you know, looking at it from, a, the le from the lens of a therapist, from just good TV, good character development, good, you know, writing. Um, also, that pilot episode of, like, what is happening in this? <laughs> right? yeah, Why are they so angry? Yeah. Right. So all yeah, of those things, so all the way to the end of the, mm -hmm. you know, the last scene, you know, mm -hmm. just that ex exploration of human connection. Yeah. And so had all those things going for it for me. And, that, and the sh episodes were easily digestible. Yeah. I mean, they were only 30 to 40 minutes long, yeah. so it's easy to just burn through episodes, like you were saying, Matt. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this show just captures so much, um, and, and I want to be clear, I'm not going to ask you guys to represent all men, I'm not going to ask you to represent <laughs> all Asian American yeah. men, but I would love your input because I know that like the things that I've read at least about um, the way Asian men in particular are portrayed in TV and movies, mm -hmm. I know that I'd like to think this show explores it with more depth, that it's not, I feel like Asian men kind of get pigeonholed as Kind of as um, Amy's in the show, Amy's husband kind of to me yeah. represents how what Asian men are limited to in Hollywood, where they're kind of gentle, they're soft-spoken, stay-at-home dad. Like they mm -hmm. don't get to be, I don't know. I feel like you rarely see um, Asian men getting to have their own storyline, their mm -hmm. own, um, you don't get to see them express anger very often. And, yeah. and so I was really happy to see a show that was written and directed and produced by 
Asian Americans so that we could actually get, we could get those of us who are not um, from that community get to see a little bit more um, of, of real people being portrayed. And, and, and I don't know how to say that without sounding like the whitest woman in the world, but I, <laughs> I really did appreciate that from, from that perspective. Um, so I hope that you, know, you can share some of that too, just yeah. having grown up here and, and how you've experienced. Yeah, well, definitely for me, like my experience is not everyone else's experience. Right. And, yes. and having grown up Again, like like how I characterized it with one foot in both mm -hmm. worlds, right? And um, being Vietnamese is obviously you know very Korean, different than yeah. Korean culture yeah. or Chinese American culture, mm -hmm. that type of thing. Um, honestly, when you asked me to be a part of this episode and, and we we talked about kind of the the Asian male experience and, and um, Asian male rage type of experience, mm -hmm. right? Like it's not even something that I had personally mm -hmm. even considered. Um, but as, as I thought about it and did some exploration of that, you know, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, how George is characterized in the TV show, that is how most, I don't want to general, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't want to overgeneralize, but um, it is how a lot of Asian um, American males are characterized yep. as this passive, yep. pacifist mm -hmm. type of um, portrayal, stereotype. and. Um, there is a little bit of that underneath like well we're more than that yeah and you know i mean it's, it's just you know just whether it's through sports culture or you know something i follow is like mma for example mm -hmm. right there's not a lot of like asian american right yeah males in there right and then i happen to find there's an asian a vietnamese american um you know that that in in one of not the UFC but one of the other Premier Leagues that I'm like oh this is so cool like I don't follow MMA too closely but yeah. I'm gonna follow this guy because yeah. he's you know um, Vietnamese American and I don't see that ever and, yeah. and that's not the typical lens that that we see Asian Americans through so I think this yeah. show is also about men trying to connect while also being, you know, living up to the masculine kind of thing. And, but also th there's this underlying, I don't know, I, like I said, this, this show is, there's so much here that sometimes I have a hard time even articulating it to myself. But all I notice is just like this, the simmering rage underneath. Mm -hmm. That's what I notice most when I'm watching this show is everyone, Amy, and even George has his own like, He's got his unhappiness and stuff that's that's uh -huh. simmering, and he's trying to deal with it by being the, like the most calm, mindful, you know, guy ever. But you can tell that that's not his experience either. And so, yeah. um, Matt, tell me a little bit about what you know, what your what your take on this show is from what you've watched. What's great about the show is it has so much depth that you could really you could pick one thing and and walk a mile. Mm -hmm. and still not reach the end in so many different areas and layers. And I think, obviously, I'm going to use a psychology buzzword here. Okay. Obviously, the theme <laughs> of repression is okay. pretty prevalent yeah. in this show. And so what I mean by that is just the defense mechanism that has you believe holding onto feelings and burying them deeply is... A good way to go through life and both of these characters I 
see try to bury their feelings and have buried their true feelings. Mm. The two main characters, which are Danny, Danny and, and Amy. Amy. Yes, they, and, and I would say a lot of other characters also, mm-hmm. you know, do this as well. Um, I think part of what makes the show so unique is that their repression ends up building to a boiling point and it hits a certain level, a critical mass, you could say, where it becomes emotionally, physically unbearable Mm -hmm. and they cross paths at a perfect time, like the splitting of an atom that causes this rupture for both of them that takes on a whole new unhealthy, ugly form, which I think a lot of folks were really kind of taken aback by how intense that pilot Mm -hmm. episode was. And yes, it might be a little bit farther um, along than what most of us would think of as like, well, if I'm going to have an outburst, it's not going to look like that. That's not me. But really there's, there's that potential buried in all of us that makes the show very um, relatable. Mm -hmm. The anger that comes out of their chosen, their, their, natural defense mechanism coming out in this form is just so so interesting so unique um and plays them at odds with one another even though they have far more in common than they do not in common yeah right so with that simmering kind of simmering under the surface rage i was thinking about when you were mentioning that that repression and how you know a lot of us would watch this and think, oh, like I'm not, I would never do something like that. I was thinking about as you were saying that during the pandemic and right afterwards, there are all these reports of like people losing their minds on airplanes and doing stuff that like happened every once in a while, but there seemed to be this uptick of people mm-hmm. behaving badly mm-hmm. out in public. And I wonder if, there, if that's connected at all. If we can try to push down these feelings, whether it's fear or anger or whatever that we like to think that we would never express it in in some rage kind of way but i think what we learned over the last couple of years is yeah maybe a lot more of us would mm. um than we realize i can't think of a a better kind of a, an opportunity for us to reach that boiling point than a period of time where we were unable to use or utilize the coping strategies that we have been used to all our entire lives and a lot of them that were used to kind of poke holes in the steam pot to let out the pressure to not reach that boiling point that all of those things or most of those things will say much of them were taken away completely and we were left to just figure it out and That's a lot an of us point. didn't figure it That's out. That's an excellent point. Our coping skills, right. exercising, yes. being sports, going out for yeah. drinks with, with friends or coworkers or whatever, yeah. all of that was taken away. When we were just sitting at home <laughs> with our feelings, yeah. <laughs> not knowing what to do with them. Yeah. So, and that increased we, yeah. isolationism, yeah. too, during the right. pandemic and even a little bit after. We're kind of on the other side of that. Um, again, going back to that human connection piece, too. Like, you know, if you're not having that human connection... Mm-hmm. And that all boils, I mean, it all ties into our coping mechanisms and, and that type of thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, that boiling point, it, it's, you know, that, that 
the, the temperature for that boiling point is just reduced and reduced and reduced, right. and then right. next thing we know, we're just boiling over. We're boiling over. Yeah. So in this much. show, what do you think, you know, I think with Amy, I've got thoughts on, on being a woman and kind of the expectations on you, but what do you think for the men in the show, where is that anger coming from? What is your understanding about where their frustration and their anger? Because this is kind of, I, I do think this is a show about anger. It's about mm -hmm. rage. It's about frustration and, and not knowing how to. That's why it boils over, right? Is right. no good outlet to poke those holes, like you were saying. So where do you think, and I'm going to start with you, BJ, where do you think that anger is coming from? Why are they so frustrated? Uh, I mean, yeah, when you, when you take a look at like the character of Danny, Danny um, specifically, um, and all of that, there's a lot of different like role expectations that you can immediately see, um, especially like this pressure that he has to, you know, provide for his brother and provide for his family. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, it comes out in the later episodes that he's trying to bring his parents over right. and he, he wants to buy this, this lot for them mm -hmm. and build this house for them. Right. Um, and, and they're, they're back in Korea right now. And, and then that relationship between he and his parents you know, might be a little bit strained and they have these expectations on, mm -hmm. on him. And so all of these things, plus maybe a little bit of uh, racism involved mm -hmm. as well, um, uh, whether it's microaggressions or, or whatever it might be, sure. right? And, and that and systemic classism as yeah. well. And, and so all of these yeah. things just kind of like right. putting this pressure on, on him, right? And then just his own expectations of himself. Mm -hmm. Right, like I'm not living up yeah. to, to to whatever you know. I'm not living up to his own. He's not living up to his own expectations. Own expectations. He's not living up to his parents' expectations. Yeah. He's not, you know, doing enough for his brother. Right. All of these things, and you know, and then it just boils over. So that's know? so yeah. light bulb moment for me as you were yeah. saying that the the racism, classism, microaggression. It what ignites the anger is him having someone in a white was like white Mercedes SUV or something. Yeah. And he yeah. doesn't know, you know, the race of the woman in it, but when you think white Mercedes SUV in California, yeah. like you're thinking, you know, some rich white <laughs> yeah. lady, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that representation mm -hmm. of like and it's a microaggression, right? Like she, yeah. maybe it's slightly more than micro, but you know, that it's like that one last thing yeah. and like a reminder of all of the stuff. Yeah. That's been keeping him from being able to do the things he's trying to do. Yeah, and it comes out later in one of the episodes where um, his brother actually refers to Danny as, Paul, the brother refers to Danny as broken. Yeah. Right, and so, and I don't think Danny would, he never addresses that, but I don't think yeah. he would like disagree with that. Right. Right, and so, um, you know, and there's a, I forget how they phrase it in, in that episode, but Danny's spreading his brokenness around right. the world. And so, and that's, that's one of the, mm. you know, effects of racism. It makes us feel broken. Oh, okay. Like, right. And so it makes us feel like we're less than. Right. And so, and then, and so all of that, you know, to say that, right. you know, then he, you know, like, like you said, that one moment, it's just, it's that tipping point. And so, and, you find out that what he was doing at that grocery store, and spoiler alert, um, what he was doing at the grocery store, returning those hibachi grills, mm -hmm. he had intended to use those grills to end his life. Oh, that's right. 
So that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, um, so he's already at a breaking point, right. and then that happens. And we, you know, we don't know if racism or microaggression yeah. is involved in that, or if he perceived that or not. It's not explicitly said, right. but it, it's it's just a all these forces. That yeah, all these forces. He feels like are keeping him from being able to do the things he's trying so hard mm -hmm. to do. Yeah, and that's the thing about his character that's so compelling is. He keeps trying, like mm -hmm. he keeps trying to find a way to do the things. It's like he can't stop himself from trying to provide for his parents, from yeah. trying to be there for his brother. And, but he can't figure out a path there. So he just gets more and more desperate mm -hmm. in, his, in his schemes to do the things that, yeah. that are really like, what, that's what's so like heartbreaking about it is he's just, he's not trying to be a billionaire. He's not trying to whatever. Yeah. He's just trying to provide for his family and yeah. for his parents, bring him over um, from Korea. And that's all he's trying to do. Uh -huh. And he, he just feels like there are all these obstacles in his path. So he's like, screw it. I'm just going to, you know, yeah. I'm going to do whatever way I can find to do these things. But you also see how, how, how hard it is for him because that's not who he is as a person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think a good um, kind of moment that where you see that that brokenness in him or that at least that perception of brokenness that he's feeling um is that scene where he steps foot into the church yes right that really that in there yeah he stepped foot in there was like this beautiful song playing in the yeah. church and if you look at the lyrics it's yeah. about brokenness oh. right and so and then he breaks yeah, down and he's just crying and crying and crying yeah. right and you know, that could have been a pivotal moment <laughs> for him. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily, yeah. but it, but you know, it, it was a glimpse into his yeah. soul a little bit and the pressures that he was feeling and facing and that type of thing. Well, it's a glimpse to that, like someone might be like, just come across as a selfish asshole, you know, out for themselves. But then it's mm -hmm. kind of that, that scene is really that reminder of like, there's something much, much bigger underneath. Yeah. And the anger is just how it's coming out. Yeah. And that, isn't that what we always say about anger yeah. too? Yeah. <laughs> right? The, the whole iceberg analogy where, I mean, I do this with kids. Like I draw an iceberg and, you know, I'm like, here's your anger. You know, that's the part that you see. And going to the, so what you were talking about, repression, like here's like all the things underneath. Well, and we, oh. in the first episode of this podcast, um, I had two uh, men in here and they were talking about how for men there are two acceptable emotions. There's like fine and angry. Yeah. And there's not, you know, so those are your, those are your choices. You can be fine or you can be angry. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you don't have another outlet, when you don't have another way to express a more yeah. complex range of emotions, then mm -hmm. at some point it comes out as yeah. anger. What's your, so you worked in, you know, you said you did anger management yes. trainings. Um, <laughs> yep, anger management at a prison. Yeah. Uh, so I bet you have lots of thoughts there. you could share with us about. <laughs> anger and what's uh what's in there yeah oh yeah i i could talk about this for days um i would say one of the key if, if i could summarize a lot of the the themes and things that i talked with um my guys with in group and in the individual work that i did um as far as anger is concerned i think this is a very universal aspect of this emotion is originally or at its heart, anger is a red flag emotion. Okay. Anger, at least how I conceptualize it as a, as a therapist, is an emotion to alert you that something is wrong, mm. unjust, or out of balance. And it comes in a very intense form, an intense feeling, 
Um, it might not necessarily start really intense, but gradually will build until you start to notice it more. Um, I think culturally, at least in America, that we've done such a good job at repressing our emotions that it takes a while for things to hit that point where we really start to notice it, right? We'll notice maybe a minor inconvenience or a frustration with a conversation that takes place and we just kind of dismiss it, mm -hmm. right? There's that maybe whatever defense mechanism you want to put in there just to kind of like get it out of the way. I don't need this right now. It's inconvenient. I don't have the time to deal with this, whatever it is. Um, but one of the things I always wanted to teach anyone that I was working with on anger is anger is not bad. Right. Anger is not something that you can get rid of. Okay. Anger is designed to alert you to something that is wrong. Right. Right. Something that within your belief system or your biology that is out of whack, that needs to be looked at. So that was one thing um, that I always took away from that is trying to educate the guys who I saw, who some of them were in prison because of their anger outbursts, mm -hmm. right? And like in this show, there's a lot of like yeah. things that people could have gone to prison for and, and a lot of things that I have seen people go to prison for that were acted out in this. Yeah. I mean, at one point there's, you know, a home break-in, right? right? Spoiler alert, yeah. sorry, it's a little late. Um, <laughs> I didn't get too specific though, yeah. so I think I'm off the hook. But um, like things like that, that our anger and other emotions can lead us to if mm -hmm. we do not deal with them right. earlier on, right? It doesn't just come out of nowhere. Right. It's a gradual increase because again, it's there to get your attention. Right. And usually by the time we get to it, it becomes <clears throat> pretty unbearable. And so with this show, what I see is that some of that anger, at least from my perception, is that they didn't, they, they were trapped in, in a, whatever, for whatever reason, they felt trapped, they felt blocked from, from doing the things that they wanted to do, that they needed to do, that they liked doing, or whatever, that there's this like constant bumping up against uh -huh. a wall. And, and I imagine in a prison system, because our prisons are filled with disproportionately like people of color, that the microaggression you're speaking of, or outright aggressions, that, that builds up anger, that's out of balance, it's unjust, right? Mm -hmm. And so those things, and, and how do you express it? How do you express it if your culture is not okay with anger? How do you express it if your partner is not okay with anger? Like, what do you do? What are healthy ways then that, like the men in this show, for example, how, what options do they have, really? Like, where, where? Well, I mean, when we use the word anger management, though, I mean, just kind of building off what you were saying, like, that almost seems like a misnomer, mm. right? Like, because yeah. we're right. not supposed to, you know, based on what you were saying, and I, I really loved what, what you were, how you were just describing that, um, and I think you're spot on. And so, but based off of that, like, you don't manage the anger, right? You manage whatever is unjust or whatever the red flag is about. And so, um, I don't know if you want to speak more to that in context of everything, but yeah, that's just something that jumped but out at me. How do you just do like, that when yeah. it's a system? Yeah. You know, when it's all system that's set up to, to work against you. Yeah, that's a tough one. And how can we expect people to not be angry living in mm -hmm. a system that was not made for them? 
Yeah. But really, it was made to keep them out. I mean, we, we don't talk, we don't learn that much in history class about all of the different ways that we have white, we being white Americans, have, have um, really kept Asian. We talk about black, you know, slaves and black people and, and how we, we don't even talk enough about that, but we, we give even less attention. Mm -hmm to um, anti-Asian sentiment and the history of that in this country. And so when there's a system that is not built for your success, you know, what do you do? How do you, how do you manage anger at a system hmm. or deal with it or express it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> Can we but, solve but the, yeah, main, the mean, big problem in this country yeah, in this I mean, conversation, think, please? Yeah, let's, <laughs> we're going to solve the world's problems here. Yeah. How much time do we have? Yeah. But I mean, I think it goes back to, again, like in the show, like the, the need to feel seen, right? And so, um, mm, you know, right. like during the pandemic, when, um, you know, they were calling the virus, the, the COVID virus, they're calling it Kung Flu or the China virus and those type oh, of things, right? right? Yeah. Yep. They're, they're, you know, the wave of anti-Asian kind of sentiment right. grew and I, you know, I didn't experience it personally. I, I was lucky, but I had friends and colleagues that, yeah. you know, would come to work crying because they, things were said to them on the street or things were right. said to them at the store. And, you know, and my heart just broke for that. Mm -hmm. And, and, I think just this acknowledgement, awareness, and just like saying, I see you, right? Mm -hmm. I see that your experience is, is different. And, um, you know, and, and social, staying off social media too. So, social media can be such a yeah. hot mess. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And if you're going to be on it, stay out of the comments section. Yeah. Social yes. media. <laughs> yeah. And the sad part is a lot of people in the comments section are people just like the characters in this show Going there who to express are their anger. project yeah they're they're finding any avenue that yeah. they can as safely as possible to That's, to yep. project right there's another right. another one where they're just trying to put what they have such a hard time feeling themselves mm -hmm. can i put this somewhere mm -hmm. else because right. i'm tired of dealing in a safe with place as, yep. as safe as they can which is mm -hmm. anonymous keyboard yep. warrior style like right. yeah. that happens I, I wouldn't. I would say minute every minute, but probably more frequently than that, is people are just people are really right. exhausted. They're tired. They're in pain. They're frustrated. They're mm -hmm. frustrated and they're feeling hopeless and they don't know yeah. what else to do about it. There was something that I think both of you touched on um, that I want to go back to, especially when it came to when you were talking about BJ about expectations. Mm -hmm. If I could boil the show down to one thing other than anger which i think is as apt expectations yes is the expectations other. Yeah. boy oh boy that theme starts yeah. and finishes the show yep and one of the things that i that came to mind uh when watching this show was the relatable theme of uh expectations and how we both simultaneously accept and reject expectations that are put on us mm. we accept them with our behaviors and sometimes with our thoughts but we reject them with our heart right. and soul yeah and so mm -hmm. i think there's that juxtaposition that creates the red flag mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. like what about expectations can create red flags well when we don't ascribe or believe those expectations fully or they're just so difficult yeah. to achieve we have yeah. so many barriers and 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 obstacles that get in the way of achieving those right because mm -hmm. i think of they both 
I think Danny experienced this maybe a little bit more due to the fact that he was kind of doing everything on his own, right? And creating this business, picking up where, you know, I think it was his cousin his who cousin had, had like blown up had helped, the, yeah, destroy yeah. the business. Yep. And he kind of had to pick up the pieces yeah. from that. So he's starting 10 yards behind, um, just having your efforts thwarted at every turn. And you're still in that mindset of, I have to do this. I have to do I that. Have to. Yeah. And I, and the feeling of, I don't think I can, or I don't want to, mm-hmm. I just don't want to. And that anger builds of, I can't hold both of these things in my hands at the same time. Well, and I think with Amy, we mm-hmm. see that with her too, with being a woman and yeah. a mom. And, you know, she, she thinks that what she wants is to sell the business so she can be with her family more. Mm-hmm. But then we see as, as this goes on that, that sh- that's not what she wants. She wants to be like when she was on that stage mm-hmm. in that episode and then mm-hmm. like she got off, she was like, I still want in. I don't want to be done. And you get to see like, yeah. for her, it's like she's got these, these things that she's passionate about and it's competing with the expectations of her as a mom and a wife. Yeah. And, and how she's struggling with that and struggling with the expectations that, are, that she's feeling for herself. I think there's also the expectations, you know, about being um, second generation or first generation, you know, children of immigrants and the expectations, you know, I hear a lot about if you're, you know, if your parents, you know, immigrated here, the expectations of you are that you're going to be successful because Mm -hmm. they made all, you know, they made a bunch of sacrifices to come here or they're just, that's just what's expected of you culturally. And, and the pressure that that puts on people too, Mm -hmm. um, when they're living with those expectations. And, or if you just, if you just have parents who are kind of never happy with your accomplishments and they just want you to keep doing more. In fact, I I was driving my my daughter in a friend of hers and, and this girl's a first generation college student and she's getting recruited from these Ivy League colleges. And I was like, oh my gosh, your parents must be so proud. And she's like, "Mm," they more just want to know like, okay, what, what next? What more? And I, and I, had this and she's she's not white um and i wanted to say anything more about about her but um i just had this like oh my god i totally just made an assumption there that and and then to hear her be like yeah no they're not just proud of me they want you know first generation college student they want to know like what else can i do what else can i accomplish where Uh can i go and those expectations and as she was talking about it i could see the weight of those expectations on her it's because those expectations are not a, like a one and done yeah. type of thing. And that's right? what she it's, was saying. It's, it's a like, never, it's never ending. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a grind, and so you, you you've never you've never made it. Yeah. Like it, there's always this ladder that you have to climb. Yeah. And is there anger that that builds with that that you keep trying and it's there's always mm-hmm. what what next what more? Yeah. Resentment. Resentment. Yeah. And what do you do with that? <laughs> And I think I do. I, that's what I love about this show is yeah. I think it explores like at some point it's gonna it's gonna boil over. Mm-hmm. That we need to we need outlets. <laughs> we need to be able to say this is how I'm experiencing this. Yeah. Before we're you know running people over or you know blowing everything up. What about the theme? I mean, before we started rolling the cameras, I mean, you were talking about your psychodynamic perspective. Yeah, I was just right? gonna ask that too. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not, I'm not hijacking no, I, you guys I'm the host. I'm curious. But, I was about to go there. But so. um, you know, there's a there's a spoiler alert towards the towards the end where she talks about home and where is home, right? And she thought Junie was gonna be, you know, she thought it was gonna be George, and then she thought it was gonna be June, Junie. Mm-hmm. 
um, but she never like truly found home for her. And there's also, also those flashbacks of her actual home mm. and then her actually going back to home, right? And she's just still never feeling at home. Mm. Can you, I mean, I'm just kind of curious from your, you know, I'm, I'm not psychodynamically trained, but you know, can you kind of speak more toward Yeah. Toward um, Ali Wong's character, Amy, is just such an interesting study because as, as, a, as a man looking onto this, I, I definitely had to take a step back and, and use a lot of empathy to kind of get, you know, where she was coming from there. And I know a lot of her flashbacks had to do with uh, her own, like, coming of age through her... Um, sexuality, for example, is one, mm -hmm. um, and then also how she reconciled the expectations of her parents with mm -hmm. what she felt like she wanted or needed in her teenage years and, and or, you know, early formative years. And so the idea of home is, is definitely uh, a, good, a good study for her because, like, when we think of what home is, it's supposed to be a place of rest. A place where you mm -hmm. can relax, you know. Be safe. You're safe, and you can be yourself and be accepted. Kick your for shoes you off. Mm -hmm. There's not going to be much yep. expected of you yes. here, yep. right? Yep. Like we're going to keep using that uh, language. That there was never a chance for her to ever feel that home mm -hmm. in the most fundamental way, right? Even when she was home, there was never this feeling of homeostasis, this feeling of peace and calm. Her parents mm -hmm. were constantly fighting and yelling at each other, uh, talking a lot about her, about things that were maybe that they were feeling failing as parents, but came out in, you know, our daughter is different or our daughter is struggling. And part of that was maybe their way of externalizing or projecting their own failings as parents or, or not feeling inept mm -hmm. or feeling inept at the job they'd done so far, which then Amy internalizes as I'm a bad kid right. and I don't like feeling bad in a place where I should or want mm -hmm. to feel safe. So then if the first experience of home is not good, which mm -hmm. I think a lot of people can yeah. identify with, yeah. um, then you're going to search for it somewhere else. Yeah. Yep. You're going to look for it in every and other gonna place. It's going to be harder to find it. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you don't have that, you don't even really know what you're, you don't know what's going to feel like. Yeah. You don't know how to feel at home. You don't know how to feel like yourself. You don't even maybe know what that looks like to just be yourself mm -hmm. with right. no expectations, relax, shoes off, you know, <clears throat> no makeup, you know, whatever. Like you don't right. know what that feels like. Yeah. So you're going to search for something, but you're not really sure what you're searching for. Right. Never feeling like you can let yeah. your guard down. Right. Right, yeah. which we see with her, like even with her husband. Yeah. You can see that like she, she makes these little bids, she tries, and then he doesn't respond in a way that, that he's hearing her or whatever, and uh -huh. so immediately she just puts the, she puts the wall back up, yeah. and it's back to, I'm fine. Okay. Yeah. You guys have been, you mentioned to, um, I think before the show started, this, this theme of connection, and I have to say that I don't know if it's because we've been talking about it on this podcast, <laughs> Or if shows are doing this more, but I have I feel like I'm noticing more shows start to explore men trying to connect with other men and the importance of that and how hard it is, um, how awkward it can be, how it can come out kind of sideways. But even in this show, like there are moments between these male characters, 
even ones who have seemed to have very few redeeming qualities, they try to make these little bits, like they're planning a crime and he's like, well, I, I got into UT Austin and like <laughs> they're trying to like, you know, does this have gluten? Is this okay? I don't want processed foods. I just feel like they're trying to do these, you know, with their underneath their macho, like bravado kind of thing. They're trying to reach out and, and just talk about normal life stuff and health and goals and whatever with each other. But it just seems like it's so hard for them. And, and I'm just wondering what you guys think about that. I think there's been a shift in our culture, um, obviously with more mental health awareness, um, trying to destigmatize getting mental health help, mm -hmm. right? And having a greater understanding of the impacts of trauma, whatever that might look like for a person um, and, and what that can do. I mean, so many, I mean, there was a whole generation that grew up in kind of like a John Wayne type of mm -hmm. culture, right? And, but now, I mean, I do some work with first responders and um, there's always been this, in the past, this uh, culture of like, I'm okay, right? Like, we're not gonna talk about it and sweeping it under the rug or whatever that looks like. But now there's more and more, I mean, even here at Ellie, we have various contracts with various police departments and fire departments and I've been involved with critical um, debriefings and, and working with peer support groups at fire departments where we're talking about the things that we've seen and the impact that it's had on us right and so I think that's just kind of a broader okay maybe cultural thing where it's okay to not be okay and okay, okay to right. talk about mental health and and that type of thing so do you feel like it's getting easier for men to to open up to other men, just friendships. Is that is that is that still a challenge, do you think? And does the show yeah. shed any light on that? I think it'll always be a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, is it ingrained in us? I mean, that's a great question because that there's a there's I mean, a, got, I think like there's a, a lot chicken of and egg. space between us <laughs> right now. True. I <laughs> yeah, I was planning on putting my arm around you, BJ, but I didn't know how comfortable you'd be with that. Um, no, but seriously yeah. though, I. I I think it is, we are taking steps. Mm -hmm. How big those steps are in the grand scheme of things, it's hard to say. I would say, generally speaking, um, I, I totally agree, BJ, I think John Wayne was an excellent example of that bravado in film, that machismo in film, where you have to ascribe to these expectations of who a man is, what a man is, allowed to do and not allowed to do in order to meet the criteria, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think the definition of what a man is has been expanded in the last, who knows how long, but it's ever so expanding into what is considered acceptable for being a man, which to me, it's, it's even hard to say like what it should be and what it shouldn't be because it comes with so many personal biases of my own experience. But I, I will say this as a mental health professional, being able to tap into your emotions and relate with other people has not historically been something associated with being a man. And it, it's got to change. Yeah. It has mm -hmm. to change. Because we see how like these little bids they make in the show are we just see how they're trying, but it's just, it's so hard. And, and when you can't connect, we see the loneliness mm -hmm. that have, like yeah. these men, even though they're interacting with each other, they also yeah. strike me as so isolated mm -hmm. and so lonely. 
I think they even say that. I think, I think George, Amy's husband, talks about being lonely. I think yep. they express that. They're, they're with other people, but they're feeling lonely. Yeah, I think there's even a, a moment where Danny talks about his little brother, Paul, and he says, I should have talked to him more. Yeah. Right, should have connected with him more. Right, rather so. than just trying to like raise him yeah. or whatever. He just was so focused on being a big brother and those expectations that he didn't mm -hmm. spend the time to just connect with them on a person to person. Yeah, I was, I was gonna agree with, with that, that you know, Danny's character, um, he is a very isolated and lonely person. And so I think that uh, that doesn't do anybody any good uh, to feel like they're alone in all of this. And I think that's what the very last scene, the yeah. very last episode of the show, without getting into too much detail, um, helps to kind of provide that uh, clarity for its audience that um, you might feel alone and you might feel like you're the only one dealing with what you're dealing mm -hmm. with. And on a specific micro level, that's true. But on a macro level, couldn't be more false. Mm -hmm. That right. we all, even the people that we think are our complete opposites of us, our enemies, right? As these two mm -hmm. characters are somewhat, you know, they, they see each other as like they're, they're mortal enemies on earth, right? Mm -hmm. um, they eventually, that changes. Yeah. And they realize, yeah. yeah, they, they realize, realize how much in shared. common. Yeah. Unbelievable amounts in common. It takes a lot to get there. And eventually they figure it out. Yeah. They find it. I feel like we've, we're already at time, and I feel like we've barely skimmed <laughs> the surface of this show. Um, and obviously, we're not going to solve the problem of isolation and yeah. microaggressions and racism and <laughs> like role expectations and gender and class and all of that. Um, but I do, I really, really encourage people to watch this show. I, I think it's, it gives us this unique window into what is a very common ex human experience, but also shows us what it's like for you know for different people based on their own histories their own families their cultures and 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 we just don't get to watch a show that that takes this this approach very often and so i hope i hope you consider watching it um and thank you guys both for just touching on some of these really <laughs> critical themes and i planned i didn't finish the season yet but i message you guys when I finish and let you know. But thank you so much for joining yeah. me um, here in the season finale. Yeah, thank um, you for having us. Yeah, well, yeah, you. I really appreciate this. Um, and I also want to thank um, Jesse, Lucas, and Two for all of the help. I mean, this show wouldn't have happened without the three of them, and I can't be more grateful. I could not be more grateful for everything that they have done to make this a very um, polished first season of a podcast. So thanks to all three of you guys for everything you've done. And that's a wrap. This episode of When Therapists Watch TV was produced by Ellie Mental Health. Miranda Barker is the managing producer. Jesse Stenbroughton is the technical director. Our production team also includes Julia Galloway, Lucas Mooney, and Tu Pham. A special thanks to Lucas Fellini, Nick Seeger, and Mel Springer. I'm Dr. Terry Bly. Thanks for listening.